Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Before we get going today, I have a very big announcement. After a ton of requests for a place for expat and expat hopefuls to network and get to know each other, I decided to start a new Facebook group. It's called the Expat Money Forum, and it's 100% free to join. We literally just started the group, so you can really network and get to know the individuals there. We will be keeping a very close eye on this group, and I already have three awesome moderators volunteer to help me out. So to make it easy on you, I set up a really simple redirect link. All you have to do to join this group right now is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum. We already have a bunch of previous guests from my show in the group, so you can ask your questions directly to the professionals or get help from the people who are on the ground in the country you are interested in being an expat in. So I hope that you will join us in our new Facebook group by going to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum, and I will see you there. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is the editorial director for the American Institute for Economic Research. He is the author of many thousands of articles in the scholarly and popular press and nine books in five languages, most recently, Liberty or Lockdown. He is also the editor of The Best of Mises. Please welcome to the show, Jeffrey Tucker. Jeffrey, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So why don't you talk to us a little bit, I guess, about your background in your work of freedom and liberty, and then kind of why you've decided to specialize so much in what's happening with the lockdowns around the world. Well, when I was in college, I fell in love with the idea of human liberty and decided I just wanted to dedicate my life to it, not just advocacy, but understanding, you know, trying to figure out like, why is it that things are more orderly when people are free and that uh, more chaotic when there's central planning? Yeah, it's it's an amazing question. It's what you see all over the world. I mean, everything from the app economy to global trade to, you know, all the prosperity we've experienced for the last uh, several centuries, you know, as a product of of markets that have been uncontrolled, they have within them their own capacity for self-ordering. And is to, to understand that self-ordering system and all the institutional implications of that, constitutional or otherwise, has, has been the passion of my life. And it was taken to be a lot of different directions, from intellectual history to Bitcoin and technology and that sort of thing. So 
when lockdowns came, yeah, it was like March. Actually, it was March 8th. That's when uh, South by Southwest in Texas was shut down by the uh, Austin city government. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, this is... A scandal for the ages. I already knew the demographics of this virus. I knew it was not a general threat to the general population. There was a particular kind of threat to a very small group uh, population that we know very well who they are. And so why would we uh, destroy a conference like South by Southwest, you know, where it was a perfect opportunity to contribute to the creation of, of herd immunity, which is the way we've dealt with pandemics for, for a full century. But there is this kind of political panic that set in. So I wrote, you know, I think on March 9th, you know, this is a disaster. I can't believe this is happening. And then it just got worse. March 12th, you know, Trump blocked all travel from, from abroad. Next day, his Health and Human Services Secretary sent out a, a shutdown orders for schools and businesses and large gatherings and churches. More flights were blocked. By Tuesday, the entire country was entirely shut down. And I had never seen anything like it. It's an unprecedented, you know, in modern times experiment. In the Middle Ages, they would try lockdowns, you know, based on ignorance and very localized, but not this kind of global uh, lockdown policies. And, you know, it's, so it's been the, my goal for the last year to, to understand why this happened and to explain the problems with it and to urge for the reopening and to, to help people understand both the public health aspects of it and the self biological aspects of, 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 of a new virus, you know, that it's not anything to panic about. I mean, you can panic if you want, but it's not going to do anything about the virus, you know? Yeah. I mean, like a virus, <laughs> a, a virus has to be dealt with with intelligence and therapeutics, you know? That's how you deal with viruses, same as, as we've always done it uh, in the course of the last hundred years of, of cell biological enlightenment. And for some reason, we chose, you know, a more medieval strategies. Uh, uh, even the Middle Ages didn't do anything this egregious. So, it was it was a shock to me that we decided to just reverse the modern world throughout all constitutional rights, the Bill of Rights, property rights, normal assumptions about freedom of travel, and then next thing you know, there's censorship, and you know, it's just been a, a grim. So I've I've been chronicling this, you know, the whole year. Put up my book came out in September, one month before the Great Barrington Declaration, but you know, I helped uh, shepherd the Great Barrington Declaration into um, reality, which has turned out to be. You know, it's translated into 45 languages or something. It's a, the most important alternative to lockdowns is the Great Barrington Declaration, which just restates traditional public health principles. And uh, I knew for sure that this is going to end in calamity and great, great regret on the part of governments all over the world. They just did a very stupid and catastrophic thing. It was so easy to predict uh, what the consequences would be. I've been predicting it. I've been 100% correct. All of our writers here have been for the last year. And, you know, I think it's the most important issue we face. And I'm glad you had me on the show because, you know, we're talking about international issues. Where can people go where they're safe? And pandemic policies really has a huge impact on the way we see the world. Well, absolutely. Because, I mean, this is the main reason that I wanted to have you on, because I get this question every single day. Like, well, where can we go? Where can we go that is safe? Where can we go that is open? Where can we get, go that we have freedom and liberty and can actually live our lives? And it's been so difficult because I've been reading and researching and trying to find places. And I've been out there traveling around the world during this pandemic. And I mean, in a lot of cases, there's really nowhere. Places that were supposed to have a lot of freedom actually have very little. Places that you thought would have no freedom actually seem to have a lot. Now I think of Nicaragua and Ortega, and normally it's a tyranny, and usually it's tyranny, but now 
Nicaragua seems yeah. to be one of the most open places in the world, which is so bizarre because everything is just topsy turvy yeah. and yeah. flipped on its head. Well, if you want to, if you want to get spooked, you know, recall that in the 1980s the U.S. waged a, a guerrilla war to save Nicaragua from communism, right? And Daniel Ortega was president back then. He eventually voted out uh, democratically. But you look at the stringency index between the U.S. and, and Nicaragua over the last year, Nicaragua was flatlined with almost no stringencies, no lockdowns whatsoever. The U.S. is one of the most lockdown places in the entire world, more so than Russia or Nicaragua. I mean, you know, that's that's a shock, and that should be a shock to every American. I mean, what we did in this country over the last year is absolutely un-American. Uh, you know, you can you can I think li list the number of open places on one hand. You know, so you've got Belarus never locked down, uh, Tanzania did not lock down, Taiwan had almost no lockdowns at all. They had you know one of the best. SARS-CoV-2 responses of anybody in the world, and they had almost no cases and almost no deaths. So, you know, there's now you could argue that's for reasons of cross immunities with SARS-CoV-1, which hit them back in 2002, 2003. I think it's a likely explanation. I, I don't I don't think that staying open causes the virus to go away. Uh, I guess my main point is locking down does not achieve any successful disease outcomes, and it violates people's rights and spreads despair and drug abuse and, and okay. suicides and economic collapse. I mean, so there's no value added to locking down and uh, staying open allows you to uh, you know, deal with a pandemic with, with intelligence, which Tanzania did, which Belarus did, which Taiwan did. Sweden is another case, much more stringent than it should have been, but it was largely open. South Korea uh, stayed open. Japan had, you know, mixed policies and that sort of thing. And the U.S. case, you know, we had these kind of perfect experiments, right? So South Dakota uh, locked down. I think the governor shut down schools for like a week and then side, decided this is dumb. And so got rid of everything. And they've had, you know, they've had, you know, high level of death among their, 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 their aging uh, very aging population, especially those in nursing homes, which is hardly surprising. Um, it's what they call a dry tender phenomenon. So it's entirely demographically driven. But otherwise, you know, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, cases have been high in South Dakota, but on the other hand, you know, that's the way you get to herd immunity through exposure and, uh, and while protecting the people who are vulnerable. This is the right pandemic policy. It always has been. So South Dakota pursued it. Uh, Georgia opened up pretty quickly and in a, in a pretty good way. Uh, later, uh, later, you had um, Florida come along, and they got rid of everything, I think, back in August, September, something like that. And they've had very good outcomes compared to California, which has now been locked down for a full year. And then Abbott in Texas, you know, like a complete idiot fool that he who was, you know, locked down Texas, of all places. You know. He'd be sending SWAT teams into rural Texas bars and arresting people. It's just a monstrous. But then last month, uh, he, he just kind of realized he had done something wrong and just threw out every single bit of stringency in the entire state, got rid of the max mandates, all of his executive power, just one day just repealed it all. And just the whole thing just went away. Do you think it's because he had some change of heart? Do you think he had a grew a conscience overnight? Or why would someone just uh, because because he was he was very jealous uh, that Christy Noem and Ron DeSantis are very famous politicians within Republican circles right now. They're beloved and celebrated as great heroes, both of them. Mm -hmm. And he went to a CPAC, so-called Conservative Political Action Conference uh, event, and saw 
uh, Ron DeSantis and, and Christian Nome being given standing ovations and treated like, you know, royalty, whereas everybody was just jeering him and attacking him for having shut down Texas. So he left that conference and two days later just got rid of everything. So it's purely uh, political pressure on him. Mm -hmm. he, he wanted to, to not be so despised. <laughs> so that was the reason. Unfortunately, I wish I could say it was a matter of conscience or intellectual growth, but it, it really is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, okay, so I want to get into some more of the countries that are open, some of the more countries that are closed and what the reaction has been. But I guess my 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 first question before we do that is why do you think that the governments went into such strict lockdowns around the world? Because I know there's so many conspiracy theories out there. There's so many mm -hmm. different ideas, but I'm curious your opinion on why they would do something mm -hmm. like this. So so I don't think there's one reason, but it's a it's a some combination of 24-7 news media frenzy. They had nothing to lose from lockdowns. They were very happy for people to uh, to be glued to their televisions and, and internet all day long. So they've been very, very pro-lockdown from MSNBC to CNN to the New York Times, who's been leading the call for, for a lockdown since uh, February. And so that was a really, the place of the media just got everybody really panicked. And really, disease panic is a weird thing, right? It changes your personality. If you think you're surrounded by pathogens, they're going to come and get you and kill you. You start behaving slightly differently. <laughs> <laughs> so we had that problem. And then uh, the politicians, I think, uh, gleaned that this was in the environment and and responded to the, to, to, to the public panic. And, and uh, they panicked and they thought they were going to be blamed for every death that happened under the watch. The only thing they could do to figure out what to do is to, is to lock down. And you wouldn't think that they would go to that. Like, who would say, oh, well, let's violate everybody's rights. Uh, so then you had a third problem, which is the uh, the growth of, of modeling within epidemiological professions. You know, so suddenly all the experts seemed to be more or less in favor of lockdown. And so then you still have to ask the question, well, why would that be the case? Because 15 years ago, they were all against lockdowns. You know, there was this is not part of our typical pandemic response. And I think there... You start getting into the problems of, you know, the funding by Bill Gates, who imagines that you can control the virus. He really believes it through uh, central planning. Uh, essentially, um, he sees vaccines as same thing as vir virus protection for our bodies, that he sees it as, as, as a software solution for how we protected our hard drives from from his from the viruses that were really ruined his operating system. You know, I mean, it's like after Windows was released, the only thing, I mean, it's, it's almost rendered useless due to the pervasiveness of viruses. And I think he just got confused between computer viruses, biological viruses. So he's became a kind of a zero virus person. And and his money helped corrupt um, epidemiological departments uh, all over the world and journals. And they developed a huge network of, of, of people that were very anxious to try a new experiment. So that's, that's a f fourth factor. And um, um, there's a fifth factor, I think, and it has to do with the, the loss of genuine intellectual conviction in the in the merits of freedom and human rights i mean that's it's been it's been dialing back now for 20 years and people no longer really believe in the system that right. made the world great um they have other plans whether it's socialism or the green new deal or some crazy nonsense you know everybody's got a dream for how they're going to manage the world and the lockdowns were an opportunity basically to create chaos and thereby replace the idea model of freedom and human rights with something else. Uh, I would add a final factor here, and I know it's a lot to keep in mind, but you know the, the presence of Donald Trump. You know, may, was making you know people just absolutely insane. I don't know what he he became a kind of a metaphor for the germ. So when the new germ came along, new pathogen came along, a lot of people just really thought, well, this is what happens when you have an evil, evil man as president. Mm -hmm. You know, 
So the idea of locking down, suppressing the virus was was very much in people's minds in a meta spiritual metaphorical sense, like let's get rid of Trump and drive him uh, from the world so we can go back to normal. That, that There was that too. So all these factors kind of came together all at once. I don't think one is dominant over anything else, but every one of the reasons relied on other reasons. So, you know, the media fueled the panic, the panic uh, uh, caused the public panic, and the public panic was responded to by the by the political politicians who had epidemiologists funded by Bill Gates and others uh, cheering on the political order to try a new uh, system as an alternative to freedom. And next thing you know, we were all under house arrest and it was terrible. I congratulate any government that resisted lockdowns, but they weren't, there weren't that many. It was very sad. And as you say, a lot of the places that you would think would have stayed open, uh, locked down as bad as everybody else, you know, because they thought that was the answer, I guess. Well, I remember when this first came along. So my wife is from mainland China. So we were getting news long before most people in the West were. Mm -hmm. I remember we were already going to Costco and loading up giant shopping trolleys mid-January with food mm -hmm. and things like that. We really didn't know what was going on. And I believe quite strongly in personal responsibility. So I loaded my house with water and fuel and food. And mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't know what was going on. We're watching these videos of people just walking down the street and dropping dead in mainland China. And it was just so bizarre to watch. We really didn't know what to think. But I also wonder if we've been kind of primed over the last decade, two decades of watching Hollywood movies where every second movie seems to be some dystopian future, some zombie apocalypse or some weird thing happening going on where the world is coming to an end. And now suddenly a virus comes out and everybody has already been primed in that mentality. And you watch the videos from China and you're like, wow, is it like happening? Is this really happening? Mm -hmm. It's just so I bizarre to actually go through. It was like, yeah, people, well, thanks to gaming and the pervasiveness of the internet culture, people no longer know the difference between what the reality and what they see on their screens, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so if you've ever seen the movie Contagion, yep. a lot of what happened in the early days of, of the lockdowns in the United States was like play acting as if we were in that movie, all the way to the use of these crazy phrases like social distancing and, you know, the demand that hand washing and stay home orders and all this stuff is in that movie. And it was scary because I didn't understand why the lockdowns were happening. I watched that movie and I said, well, it seems like we're just all pretending we're in this movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> people really did lose track. And you're right about the media, um, or in the case of China, it's never, it's to this day, it's not clear what was real and what was not out of those videos of people dropping dead in the streets, you know? I mean, so, some people believe, well, there's no question it came out of Wuhan, I suppose, but that very early on, China realized that uh, the, the worst of the severe outcomes from this disease can be mitigated through traditional th Chinese therapeutics. But they advertised to the whole world about lockdowns fix the viruses, right? Well, you know, a month later, China's entirely open. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is locked down. You know, yeah. well, that's the thing is China locked down and they locked down for a very short period of time. Now, I'm not getting my information from the media or from the Internet. I'm getting the information from my mother and father in law yeah. who are there and her, my wife's cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents in different parts. And all my friends, we've been to China mm -hmm. 20, 30 times over the years. And I mean, I have a huge network and I was asking people what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my my wife's family has been on vacation like 10 times all over the country. They've gone to Myanmar. They've gone to other places around China. And it's been wide open. I mean, the lockdown was like four weeks, five weeks. They counted it as solving the problem. But 
I mean, we've been locked down for a year now and we don't have any solutions here. So everything is yeah. really suspicious. I just don't understand why it is like It is this. suspicious. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, it's it, one of the things about lockdowns that's very, uh, I would say, methodologically inaccurate is that there's a tendency towards uh, uh, the models have always play with this idea that the population is homogeneous, you know? So not just across age demographics, the risk is the same for everybody. That's the way the mm -hmm. models always assume this. But it's worse than that. They, they don't consider uh, types of immunological profiles in various countries. You know, as I say, 17 years ago or so, China and surrounding areas dealt with a pretty serious SARS-CoV-1 epidemic. And apparently there's a lot of cross-immunities there. And, and cross communities with other coronaviruses. So there's a different demographic in China, much younger population, obviously, and a different immunological profile that makes them, I would say, just in general, less at risk for severe outcomes. Sure. The U.S., you know, we had a, a real problem that we have very aging population, a lot of whom were... Uh, a lot of whom were in uh, nursing homes. And then we made terrible, gr grim policy decisions. Like one of the things that happened in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and Rhode Island, I think, and Massachusetts. To preserve hospital space, as they said, they required long-term care facilities, nursing homes, to take in SARS-CoV-2, uh, COVID-19 patients. At what? The, at Wait, the, sorry. Right. sorry, sorry. Let me see if I understand you. They actually needed extra bad bed space so they went to the nursing homes and put COVID patients into nursing homes when we know that the elderly were the most affected and most chance of having mortality rates. Did I get that right? This actually happened. And the, the idea thing. was that the governors believed that they were trying to save the hospitals for new patients. So they wanted to get the old patients out. And they required by law through executive order that nursing homes take in diseased people. Uh, and it's a highly infectious disease in a in a in a in, in a population of people that are aged with comorbidities and because they're always inside living you know, for a very long time, they, they had by now a broken and naive immune system. So the worst possible thing you could do, and as far as anybody can tell, it seems like we lost. Uh, 10,000 souls in New York just from this one mistake alone. And there were still counting bodies in the other states. It was That can't be just negligence. That seems purposeful. I mean, how could someone make such a mistake? And I mean, even with the information at the time, I'm quite sure that we knew that this was something that we needed to protect the elderly. I'm not sure. Well, we did know that. No question. We, we knew about the demographics of, of death from probably from early early February, you know, so this is not, and probably other experts knew even sooner than that. So we did know, I mean, a lot of it really was uh, that there was a, a, a screaming wild panic that we had to flatten the curves to preserve hospital space. Everybody thought that the hospitals could not scale, which is not true. Mm -hmm. You can always set up, you know, tents, you can, you can, you can hospitals can scale. So it's just, just complete nonsense. But these governors all panicked. And so they wanted to keep the hospitals empty. I mean, it was actually an extraordinary thing within, within uh, the first three months of the, after the lockdowns, hospitals all over the country, they all pursued the same policies of, mm -hmm. of trying to save hospital space only for COVID-19. The place that they're all empty. Nurses are being furloughed all over the uh, yeah. Midwest and all over the South and the Southwest. And hospitals were losing money hand over fist. It was just terrible. It was a terrible time. And there were no patients. And people were missing cancer screenings. They're missing routine surgeries. Anything considered uh, you know, elective surgery was just ruled out. So people 
them you couldn't even dentistry services collapsed in this in this country uh, by seventy percent over the course of uh, the spring and summer last year. That's, that's just the whole thing was shocking. And and you're right. I mean, on one hand, you know, you look at this stuff and say, well, this is crazy. Why would anybody pursue such terrible policies? But I think their models. Well, that's the other thing. The modelers were scaring them. They were they yeah. were talking. The New York Times was predicting five million dead uh, in the United States. Indiscriminate. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, severe outcomes. You know, when Michael, uh, when Donald McNeil, their virus reporter, was going on their podcast uh, talking about three and four percent uh, crude death rates, crude death figures. I mean, you know, it turns out in the end, the the global infection fatality uh, rate is zero point zero one five, right? Mm-hmm. Which makes it roughly the same as the flu, which is World Health Organization estimates to be. Mm-hmm. I think I put it as I said 0.015. It's actually 0.15. 0.15. Uh, okay. 0.1. So slightly higher, but you know, these are all also remember these are global global averages, right? I mean it's not as if a virus comes with a with a label. Here's your IFR, right? Mm-hmm. So it all depends on the demographics, uh young population, old population. You know, there are other places that never shut down, like the the Hasidim in, in New York continue to hold their gigantic weddings and funerals and go on with life as normal. They just completely ignored it and spread herd immunity, a lot of exposure, and almost no severe outcomes. Now people will say well, the reason for that is that uh, it's a very young population. Well, yeah, exactly. So we should have kept the, kept the schools open. We should have never canceled South by Southwest. <clears throat> There's no reason to shut parks, spring break, movie theaters, large-scale concerts and things. I mean, it's not typically the case that, you know, an 85-year-old person with, who's immunocompromised and two, two to three comorbidities is hanging out at a 15,000-person stadium listening to Justin Bieber, you know? I mean, it's like crazy. It was a time of grotesque irrationality and lack of intelligence. And I think this panic spread all over the world. And even such tiny places that pride themselves on their freedoms uh, went full lockdown, you know, Caymans and Bermuda and St. Kitts and, you know, you name it, all the places that people used to go to to get free, they all locked down too. So I also wonder, because for me, it only makes sense that if we're going to try to beat this type of thing, that we would want to be having very strong immunity. And for me, from my understanding and my background with nutrition, having sunlight and vitamin D and fresh food and exercise and lack of stress, all of these things help with our immunity. They help keep us healthy. So it also doesn't make sense to me why they would lock us all inside and no one sees daylight for six months on end. Like, do you well, have any right insights on, on this? Yeah, the, the immune system is one of the great discoveries of the 20th century. You know, and but by the 1870s, people didn't know that much about it. We used to have a theory that diseases were miasmas uh, or spread on surfaces like cooties or something like this. And by the 1880s and 90s, we started learning about why it is that inoculations, which have been used for hundreds of years, why they're starting to work. Um, we started developing good, uh, really good vaccines by the 1920s. The concept of herd immunity was actually very late in developing. It's a mathematical idea, probability theory, or you can look at it as an evolutionary concept. Basically, a virus spreads, your immune system scales to adapt uh, itself if it's healthy and functioning, as you say, with sunlight and good eating, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then 
the virus can't find a host anymore because the immunities have been spread. And this is how we live, right? The, the pathogen comes along. Um, it's initially a pan pandemic uh, level pathogen. And then herd immunity spreads it, it becomes endemic to the population, it releases an equilibrium, and then we live with it. This is how we've always absorbed new pathogen. There's always a new pathogen. That's just the way life works. That's why it's good to stay healthy and, and not avoid exposure. I mean, you don't want to set out to deliberately get yourself sick, although, you know, there's always a plus side to getting a cold, getting a flu, uh, getting getting these kind of respiratory illnesses and getting over them because then you're you're stronger as a result. And mm -hmm. you know, there's been studies on this stuff. H1N1 spread like crazy in 1918. We had the Spanish flu, killed a lot of people. But the people, but there have been studies of people who lived through that and then died. The immunities are persistent in their system up to 100 years later. So mm -hmm. the immune system is a very powerful thing. And we just decided to forget about it for last year. It was amazing. What have you seen as the result of all these different types of lockdowns, mask wearing, when it when it came on, and then did we see any drops when masks became mandatory, when lockdowns became mandatory, when curfews became mandatory? Because well, when we look around the world, I think we have a huge sampling of data. I'm, I'm really curious to know what yeah. was the result. It's it's actually remarkable. The number of studies have been done on this. I've, I think I've assembled uh, up to 32 large-scale global empirical studies, both global and local, trying to find some relationship between disease mitigation and viruses. And there's there's not even, you know, forget causation. You can't even establish a correlation. It's just completely random. So there's no evidence that masks would have made any difference. You look at the studies that sat on masks, they're like a joke. I mean, they're methodologically screwed up. They don't make any sense. <clears throat> and even the most intense one that claims some positive benefit, it's all screwed up. They had to extend the, the time frame to, to even make find a statistically significant difference between mask and no mask up to 100 days after the mandates and they're not even adjusted for compliance they're just looking at the, you know the pure of the laws and even then they said it only makes a difference for one to two percent so i mean there's no evidence that this is the most ridiculous uh, uh fake science ever and the, here's the thing they can't get away with this because i mean the, the problem is that there's simply no evidence that mandatory masks that lockdowns the stay home orders travel restrictions make any difference whatever so the, there is an absolute dearth of evidence that that these are, are good policies that mitigate viruses and uh, and the, it's to the point that i'm not even claiming it anymore i was reading an mm -hmm. article in the new york times the other day no 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 where was that it was the los angeles times and they're going oh california had to lock down I kept reading the articles like, okay, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Well, they don't cite any anymore. It's just mm -hmm. gotten to the point that it's become like a, a, a religious incantation. Lockdowns work, lockdowns work. <clears throat> but there's no evidence of it at all. So I, I've seen some of the articles where it's like two masks are the new one mask. Like, well, what is this silly rubbish that we're hearing now? If one mask doesn't work, why no? Why do we now think that two masks are worth three masks? I see all kinds of bizarre things. People driving down the cars, windows world way up and masks by themselves in the car. Like, I, I don't understand the hysteria of where this comes from. It's not based on any science. We can clearly show that it's not. So but part like, of it is that, that they're trying to cover up for their own policy failures. So the one mask didn't work. 
to stem the spread. <clears throat> so they're like, oh, that's because you're supposed to wear two. It's like, well, two doesn't work. Oh, that's because you're supposed to wear three. <clears throat> well, well, that doesn't work. Well, that's because you're supposed to wear an N95 and so on and so on it goes. We can't somehow just recognize that the virus has outsmarted governments all over the world. <laughs> In a way, it's kind of a, you know, speaking as a, as a kind of a, as, as a libertarian, you know, I mean, it's kind of <clears throat> been delightful to watch this. Although very painful, very painful. And the population is traumatized. I've never seen such germophobia in my life. I can't believe it. I mean, I saw somebody a couple of days ago, the first time who had been out of her house in a full year. I said, my goodness, you know, how are you? Well, she had put on 40 pounds. She used to be a happy, ebullient, ebullient woman and, and fantastic. She looked sad, depressed, and white as a sheet because she had not been out in the sun. And... Uh, uh, and I said, how's, how's everything going? I'm glad to see you out and about. She goes, well, I got my two shots. I said, good. Do you feel safe now? She goes, no, because of the variants. Wow. I said, well, I'm pretty sure that variants are, you know, while probably more widespread, have fewer severe outcomes. That's anything you should really be worried about. <clears throat> she said, no, I'm scared of the variants. So, you know, we're talking about a crazy person, you know, a person mm -hmm. being driven completely to the point of, of personal um, psychological breakdown as a result of, you know, keeping CNN on for the last year. It's super sad. Well, and people have called you, call me, call people who don't believe in this, like science deniers. Now we're now science deniers, but I don't understand because I mean, they're not actually quoting any science. I mean, I've had it before where I'm walking down the street with no mask. Someone sees me coming and will cross the street so they don't have to walk past me. Like, come on, that's so bizarre. I'm 38 year old man. I'm in great shape. I mean, like, yeah, I don't decide to, I don't wear a mask everywhere I go, or I take it off as soon as I'm able to without being arrested, you know? It's it's super sad what's happened. It's it's tremendously depressing. And I get screamed at all the time too, but that, that, even that's starting to go away. But, you know, apparently after every pandemic, especially with this kind of policy response, there's always going to be some percentage of the population that never quite recovers psychologically or emotionally. <clears throat> I'm guessing it's going to be 5 to 10% of our population is going to be permanently afflicted with uh, germophobia of the, an extreme sort. And the thing is that, you know, the virus is invisible to our eyes. So what happens is that people make up in their minds where it is. You know, they'll mm -hmm. just be sitting there with a state of paranoia and discover, oh, I think it, I think it must be on this book. Or oh, it must be on this glass. Oh, mm -hmm. what if it's on my hands? Maybe it's on this chair. I better not touch my phone. I think somebody else touched my phone. So you can you drive yourself crazy you don't, to the point you're not living a normal life. I think what governments have done to the population of the world is 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 criminal, <clears throat> especially with regard to children. I don't know if you have children, but I, I feel so bad with people with school age kids over the last year. They've the kids are you know, had taken away from their schools, forced to sit at home, look staring at Zoom classes they can't understand. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and then once they finally go back to school, they're having to wear masks and treat each other as if they're all pathogenic, just new, mere disease vectors. These kids are just, it's just abu absolutely abusive what's happened. Uh, I don't know. I, just, I feel like we're going to be dealing with the consequences of this thing for the next 10 or 20 years. And at some point, we're going to have to have an honest conversation about the failure of of the modelers of of the Bill Gates of, of the media and the governors who did this to us, uh, we have to have that conversation. Well, side note, I do have kids. I have a five year old, and I don't think she's ever worn a mask. We we'll never put one on her. We take her down to the pool. We encourage her to go play with other kids. She has no idea what's going on, and we homeschool, or, or I guess it's called unschooling, because there's no way I would ever put my child in public education or submit her to anything like that. So for her life, it hasn't really changed. 
the only thing that has changed is that we do have friends who are worried about these lockdowns and the virus and things like that. So maybe there's not as many kids around to play with, which I do think is sad. But you that also meant, you mentioned something else, the, the length that we're going to be dealing with this. I still think that a lot of people have in their head that, um, you know, once we get a certain percentage of the population vaccinated, then everything is going to go back to normal and we're going to go back to lives, our, our normal lives. I mean, for me, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think that this type of power play is going to be affecting us for years, for decades, possibly. And if we look at any of the controls that happened after 9-11 and the freedoms that were taken away from us then, I mean, I see very similar things that ha are happening now, especially with international borders and travel and ease yes. of movement. It's, it's, it makes me feel sad because I know that what my daughter is going to have to deal with going forwards, where that's really all she's going to know is these types of things. She's going to be at the age, you know, maybe it is 20 years. So she's 25 years old and freedom kind of comes back. But what is that going to be like for her? Who is she going to be as a person? Yeah. You know, how much are we going to be able to show her that the world is a good place and you don't need to be afraid everywhere yeah. you go and of your own shadow? I don't right. know. It's so bizarre. We shouldn't be prisoners of our nation states. You know, the presumption that we could hop on a plane and travel anywhere in the world is just kind of baked into the way we understood the world to work. And then just one day, and I, I put a lot of the blame for a lot of this stuff on Trump because it was March 12th. He shut down all flights from Europe, Australia, UK. I mean, that was um, an act of despotism. Tyrannical, really. Um, and, and, and so that kind of egregious behavior made everybody kind of believe that anything was possible. Suddenly, churches were shut on Easter. People, you know, dealing with stay-home orders. I mean, it got so bad at some point that I had to hand out special permission slips to all of my employees who were driving back and forth from the office to their house, just in case they got stopped by a cop and wanted to know why they're on the streets. And they were stopping people, like, "What are you? What are you out and about? You're supposed to be home, uh, hiding from the virus." Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was really bad. And the fact that we did this and, got, and the government's got away with it. They probably think anything's possible now. That's why I think it's really, really urgent that people who have their heads screwed on straight right now uh, speak out as loudly as possible and every way possible to make sure that nothing like this ever happens again. Absolutely. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier in the interview <coughs> is that you think that the people who have done this will actually feel regret. Break that down for me a little bit, because that's the first time I've ever heard that. I just well, don't imagine these people having any type of empathy for anything they've ever done in their lives. So the thing is that the news is filled every day now with stories of suicides, uh, especially young people, drug overdoses, missed cancer screenings, uh, the collapse in public health and psychology. Uh, it's it's overwhelming. They can only blame the pandemic so long. You know, at some point, people are like, well, it's not the pandemic, is it really? It's, it's the fact that you shattered the world this way. So I think reality is going to catch up to the politicians, and they're going to have to admit that they're wrongdoing here. And I say this because the evidence is so overwhelming, one-sided, that lockdowns were a terrible idea. And if it weren't so overwhelming, I wouldn't think they would, I thought, you know, that they might be able to get away with it. But right now, since there's no evidence that anything they did, uh, did anything bad, and there's so overwhelming evidence of, of what we did to the world, especially with children. And it's, somebody's going to have to pay. Somebody's going to have to pay. And I think it's going to be the political class, the media, the intellectuals, and the foundations that supported the lockdown policies. And that, that is the next stage. That we're going to be unfolding that for the remainder of this year. So last question, I guess, before we wrap up is kind of any insights from someone who's listening today and they are looking for more freedom. Any insights on where things are open, governments, countries, <laughs> borders, 
that you've seen in your research where people can actually go to have some semblance of a normal life? So I'm super bullish on uh, South Korea right now. Um, it's a wonderful country if you can get in. It's hard to get a job there, but uh, it's a great country. Taiwan is a fabulous place. I think Singapore had a more or less uh, rational policy. It's, of course, Sweden, but it's hard to get into that country, too. Switzerland uh, behaved more or less okay, better than most European states. But the rest of Europe has been horrible. Yeah. <clears throat> Nicaragua has a lot of land for sale. It's a great country. It's a great place to live. Nicest people I've ever encountered in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still waiting for some research on the neighboring. I've got somebody doing some work on this, on the policies from Salvador and Costa Rica. Panama, but Nicaragua, I highly recommend that place. It's it's a wonderful, beautiful place. In terms of the United States, the United States it turns out to be right now, in practice, one of the freest places in the world, mostly because of the lack of compliance. We have, you know, a third of our states are, I guess you would say, statutorily open, but the compliance is very low all over the country and the enforcement is very, very low. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, you look at the where the real estate markets are booming, it's all it's not the cities, it's all the suburbs and also the less populous states like uh, Wyoming mm -hmm. and South Dakota and, and North Dakota and um, and and uh, other places like that, of course, Texas and Florida. But after this, people are exhausted, they're tired, they want to go to a place where they're more or less safe. There's fewer safe, free places in the world. The other thing is that, like, politically, I think we can... I'm, I'm not really that into politics, but I will tell you this. I am looking forward to a, a revolutionary situation in the coming, I would say, two uh, years where all the lockdown governors are going to be kicked out of office and that every question for every candidate at all levels all over the world is, what will you do when the next pandemic comes along? Will you lock us down? And the mm -hmm. answer better be no, because I think it's the only way they're going to get elected. Well, I'd like to see that. And <laughs> side note, from my side, traveling, I mean, I've been to Costa Rica during the lockdowns. They are wide open right now. I mean, we were going on tours. We were going to the beach. We were out on boats and having surfing on the beach we were having so much fun completely wide open we're nice. in brazil at the moment we, we live in panama full-time but we're in brazil and i mean half the people are wearing masks and half are not yeah. mostly you don't even know that the virus exists here we're in the very south of the country and yeah. it's just completely wide open so it's been amazing yeah. here in brazil for the last little while good choice Perfect. Well, Jeffrey, I know that you have to run because we've got a TV interview coming up yeah. in a few minutes, so I won't keep I you. Do. But if my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to pick up your new book, where can we send them? Amazon carries it, Liberty Lockdown. I write for the American Institute for Economic Research, where I'm editorial director. <clears throat> and you can go to my Twitter feed, which I'm tweeting all day because it's great catharsis, uh, Jeffrey A. Tucker. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, 
early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.